And Dr. John, I think I'm, I'm not going to give the long introduction. There's a lot about this man you would like to know, but uh, I don't want to take away any more from his time to share with us. So can you welcome Dr. John Fain, uh, Regional Director at Pioneer Ministries, and uh, thank you, brother. Thank you, Pastor, so much. Good morning, everyone. It is such a delight for, to have been with you over this weekend. Thank you for allowing me that privilege, and thank you for being such an encouraging group of fellow brothers and sisters on the journey with the living God. It truly is a joy to be with you, and how much fun is that to be with my kids and grandkids as they are getting ready to go out. I've have, I rarely get to do that as they are leaving, so thank you for that as well. David and Courtney, we're with you. We're with you till the end of the age. Well, Jesus is for sure, but as long as we're alive anyway, we're with you. Father, we pray that you might meet us now as you deem best. We desire to see Christ for who he is. He is so very worthy of all of our affection, all of our desire, all of our loyalty, all that we have and ever hope to be is only because of you, living God. So we thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit, for the way in which you are at work in our generation. And we ask that as we talk about these things from your word, and as we seek to hear your voice, we pray that that is all we would hear, O oh God. Anything that comes from these lips that is not of you, may we put it aside. Anything that is, we pray that you would transform us by your might and our inner being through your eternal word so that we might be the people you want us to be and that we might love as you have called us to love. In the powerful name of your son, we ask all these things. Amen. Friends, God yearns for us to know him and to join him in his mission, a mission which infuses infinite meaning into our lives and a mission as his people together, particularly in this day. You see, God's plan flows from who he is, Paul would put it this way in Ephesians 1. He says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he says in verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He then goes to talk about the predestinating love of God, etc. And down in verse 9, he says this, And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. What does this mean? This means that our God is, first of all, the God of the heavenly realm. He's the God who is over a reality that is more real than the reality which we can see, feel, taste, and touch. But he is the God of all of history. From before the creation of the world, when you and I were chosen and he knew our name, all the way until such time as everything from every tribe and language and nation and people will be brought beneath the feet of King Jesus, he is the God over all of that, fulfilling his purposes for the glory of his name. And that purpose, that plan that he has flows out of who he is. 
By the way, if you just want to go to an Old Testament example of this whole thing related to God as the God of history in the unseen realm, go to 2 Chronicles 20 later today and read about Jehoshaphat. 50 years prior to Jehoshaphat's meeting the Moabites, Ammonites, and Maonites coming against him, the previous kings of Judah had gone into the hill country outside of Jerusalem and quivered and quaked in fear at the enemies of God. But Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament teaches us what Paul does in Ephesians. He shows us that he really is. He would cry out. He would, what, would, what did he do? Total counter to any intu- intuitive approach to the way in which you would think an enemy would take on the enemy. He would call the people to do what? Come together for fasting and for prayer. And as they did that, he put together a little choral group and sent them out and they sang a special number and the enemy ran. I know what you're thinking. I've heard choirs like that. But that's not what he was referring to. No. The, the reason it worked was because he understood where the power really lay in the authority of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So that when he prays that incredible prayer after drawing the people together, O oh Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kings of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one, absolutely no one, can withstand you. He is an example of exactly what Paul is talking about. This God of the unseen realm, he is over all things. We do not need to cower or move into insecurity in our day, no matter how many people think that a certain direction must go in in a way that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. No, we love them. We love them as those created in the image of God, but we say, no, there is a truth that God has revealed himself as the God who is there. When the Puritans themselves grappled with this in the middle of the 17th century, they would come together and they would ask this question. There in in, in Westminster Cathedral, they would say, what is God? And the answer was this, God is a spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. You see, he is infinite. He is eternal. He is unchangeable in all of those attributes which make up the reality of who this God is. Friends, God is more real than we are. He is a God who is alive, a God who is moving for his glory according to these plans and purposes. He's the one that came to Abram. I'm sorry to be talking so fast, but I just got to do it today, okay? This is what he said to Abram in Genesis 12. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And through you all through you and through your seed, he said to Abram, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. Friends, we are the inheritors. We are a part of that inheritance that Abram received in Genesis 17. God would bring him when he was older in life, and he would bring him out and say, look at the stars in the sky. Can you count those, Abraham? Look at the sand on the sea. Pick it up and let it dribble between your fingers. Can you count the grains of sand? Your seed, your inheritance will be greater than all of that. We are a part of that incredible seed of Abraham, that, pr- that promise. Paul himself is the one who reiterated that. In Galatians chapter three, 3, he would say this, that the scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and they announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. He says later in that same chapter, verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. 
And then the one I love the most is at the end of the chapter. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You are heirs according to the promise. Did you hear that video up there? They are confident that God is going to use them because they are the spiritual inheritors of the promise given to Abraham. Those from South Asia in the area of Cleveland are going to be brought into a new era of blessing because of a couple who is coming, trusting God to use them for his glory. Friends, do you understand who you are in Christ? Do you understand what Jesus died for? In, in John 17, 15 hours, most scholars think, before they would nail him to a tree, he is the one who would say this, my prayer is not for them alone as he's talking to the Father. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them, that's you and me, brothers and sisters, all of them may be one Father just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What a glorious inheritance and promise we have. But then he goes on to say what I consider to be the most profound verse in all of Scripture. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Do you hear that? I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I love what Lloyd-Jones, that incredible Welsh preacher, said about this particular passage. He said is. As Jesus was the glory of the Father, you and I are the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? <laughs> Do you really believe that you are a glory bearer of the King of Kings? I sure do, because I wouldn't have any hope without it. <laughs> I didn't score lowest on the SATs in my high school, which was in the, a state that was 48th in the nation at the time, and I won't tell you which one. And my high school was the worst in the state. I didn't score lowest, I scored second lowest. The guy who scored lowest literally had learning disabilities and every reason not to do well. As for me, I just hated school. <laughs> Couldn't stand being in it, thought it was boring all my life. Thought, and it was, I thought it was boring because I really wasn't learning. I was a late one to learn how to read, to all these other things. And yes, if my grandsons are listening, there's hope for them as well as for me, okay? <laughs> Believe me, there's a whole heap more hope for them than for me anyway. Friends, I remember as I took it the second time three weeks later and scored 30 points lower. All I said was, I'm not, I'm too stupid. I told my mom, I'm too stupid. You see, I was one of five kids, four older sisters. Had any of them been a boy, I wouldn't exist. <laughs> but the night I was born, my father preached a sermon. His name is John. Such hopes. But it's not what we bring to the table. <laughs> my mom sat me down and she said, John boy, she said, we prayed for you 20 years. God gave you as a special gift to our family. With God, you can do anything. She had a vision of what a glory bearer could be. And she said, next thing was really spiritual. She said, and you're going to college. <laughs> and I said, whatever good Southern boy says, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and by the way, just for the record, uh, when I took the ACT, because I had to take the ACT to go to the college I wanted to go to, I had no idea what to do with the math section. I just thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. They actually expect me to get math problems right. And I did any, meeny, miny, mo, And, and uh, I think I had a coin and I tossed it. I remember one time I just turned my head and went, I scored so high on the math section of the ACT that I exempted out of all college math. <laughs> 
I'm not recommending that for you or your kids or grandkids. I'm just saying that God is only interested in one thing. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's not what we can accomplish because we are impressive at any level. It's because all that matters, all that defines us is who we really believe him to be within our deepest heart. I saw this uh, just, uh, if I could tell this story very quickly, I was uh, in a part of the world that was uh, pretty dangerous and we were having to be careful even where we were and we were in a group of believers that was made up of almost half Iraqis and half Iranians and then we had just a couple others and I said, Iraqis and Iranians? Uh, Are you sure they've come to Christ? Because if you know anything about the history there, there's been a whole lot of warfare over the years. And so I was a bit nervous as we got in, but it, thankfully, yes, not only did they come to Christ, but they were glorious believers. And as we move into that context, I'm, I'm teaching in one of the hardest contexts to teach in for a guy like me with ADD, you could have imagined. Because I'm teaching and they're translating into two different languages, Arabic and Farsi. And as I would start to, start to say something, they would start translating into Arabic. But these young believers were so hungry for the word of God, they would, that you, you get, they'd get out like a sentence or two and, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, then the Farsi guy would start translating. And all of a sudden, on both sides of the room, they would start calling out questions. What did he really mean by that? They just wanted to know what the word really meant. And so there was this back and forth and up and down. And I felt like I was in some kind of Middle Eastern bazaar and my mind was going crazy. How am I, I'm, one time I made one sentence and I looked at my watch and waited. It was 10 minutes before I got to say any more. One sentence. They took that one sentence and started just debating it. <laughs> but there was one woman on the front especially and she was just, oh, she, was, she just looked like she was so perturbed over different things that she looked like a nice lady and all, but I thought, what is going on? And I, I, I literally, as the day went on and we got into the second day, I thought, is there something the matter with me? Is there, and I went to him the second day and said, I said, have I offended this lady, the head of the class? And he said, oh, no, 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 not at all. Because every time they start to translate, she'd start yelling at them, this and, 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 and they said, she just is so hungry for the word of God. She wants to ask you questions immediately. We got into the third day. We we're getting to areas uh, related to this whole idea of our identity in Christ and the fact that we are his glory bearers and I was uh, uh, teaching this and boy the room was really getting rambunctious things were really heating up and things were going back and forth when all of a sudden the, the translator for, for, for her uh, 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 said something and she, I'll never forget she asked this question before anybody could say anything and the room got deathly silent and I thought whoa and she looked at the translator and she said please ask him and she looked up at me and said I don't know who I am. (laughs) I'll never forget that moment as long as I live. The atmosphere of the room changed. It was as though the Spirit was so clearly with us. I remember looking at her and saying, you are a daughter of the King of Kings. I'll never forget her sitting back. You see, I didn't tell you the rest of the story. She had been a dancer in a bar. It had taken her eight years to come to Christ. She'd been in that bar for like 16 years. Can you imagine the things that were done to this poor lady over those years as she was controlled by men throughout her entire adult life and controlled to do things that are unspeakable? And as I said, you're a a daughter of the King of Kings. I'll never forget, she just sat back. I said, you are a princess 
in the courtrooms of heaven. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. At that point, she just sat back like waves of truth were coming over her that she had never thought of before, and the Spirit was moving. I just said, he loves you so much. You know, a couple days later, I was leaving, and uh, this lady who probably couldn't trust any man, she came to me before we were leaving. The rest of the class came. They just wanted to say goodbye and such, and she said, please, can I have a photo with you? And I said, I would be delighted. I'll never forget her taking, you see her left arm had been shot at by a pimp during those years and she couldn't even lift it. She put it and put it around my waist. She was a little short lady and, uh, and I stood there beaming, you know, with my arm around her, took that photo and immediately sent it to my wife. I said, you gotta hear her story. By the way, as I'm getting ready to take this photo, this other girl tried to get in the picture and she said, get away, get away. No, this is me. So, so we sat there, you know, together. Eventually we got them all. Why am I telling you this story? Because God doesn't care what our background is or where we've come from. If you are struggling with the knowledge of God this morning, please hear me well. He loves you in the midst of all the struggle. He loves you with all of the questions. He yearns for us to be his glory bearers in this fallen generation. I got to get an update on that lady just uh, uh, late last year. Praise the Lord. Because of her renewal of understanding of who she is, they said she's become a great encouragement to others. God is using her now as his glory bearer. God, however, doesn't want us to just see that. He wants us to understand his heart. You see, his passion is seen in his furious longing to draw an innumerable throng of worshipers unto himself. The Apostle John says it best when he says, this is how God shows his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I love that idea of a furious longing. We think of furious as only having identification with the, with the emotion of anger, but it's not at all. Furious is referring as, because this was G.K. Chesterton, that incredible Catholic out of the UK who put these concepts together. And he's the one who coined the term, the furious longing of God. He was referencing the enormous vitality, the strength of the God of Jesus seeking union with us. God desires for us to be his glory bearers far more than we even desire to know him. He is wanting to accomplish his purposes for the glory of his name. And that passion is great. Oh, my, oh, my. We could go from verse to verse, and I'm sure your, your, your pastors have done that well over the years. I won't take the time to do so. But when it talks about even his looking at Jerusalem and his heart being, being moved by that, the original is so incredibly intense. It could literally be translated, his bowels yearned. Jesus' stomach was, was churning as he looked at those who did not have a shepherd. And that's what he wants for us in our day is to understand just how intense is this love of God for those who have never known him. But I'm gonna keep moving because time is, is of an essence. It's not just about the, the amazing plan of God and the incredible passion of God, but in the third place, and this is what I understood as I received different communiques from, from you here in the church, it's about the power of God, and I want you to, I want to emphasize that now. God's power, friends, guarantees that we will prevail. We don't have to wonder about that. 
We must acknowledge that there is a formidable enemy arrayed against us. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But we put on the armor of Christ. We stand in Christ. He is within us. We are within him. As we come to know him for who he really is, in that intimacy, he is able to use us. It was Peter who would say in 2 Peter 1, I believe it is, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Paul in in Ephesians 1, I believe it's uh, uh, verse 17 says, "I I, I, I keep praying that God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the glory, no, I'm sorry, that's Ephesians 3.16. Let's see. Uh, no, he puts it in verse 18 of Ephesians 1. I pray also that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. In verse 17, it talks about us understanding the wisdom and the understanding of of who this God is, and he he references using the same terminology in Colossians 1, verses 9 and following, where he talks about the same wisdom and revelation. As we come to know God for who he is, as he has revealed himself to us, both through his word and through the application of that word, as he continues to walk with us in in closeness of relationship, as we see him and move forward, we then gain, we realize that we are are gaining a power that is not of our own. It's why... uh, uh, Paul would say, let's see, it would be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen again, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This power comes through relationship with intimacy. It's why our walk with God is the most important thing. It's more important than anything we could ever do for him because he wants to show his power in and through us. So let me talk very quickly. When Paul wrote that Ephesians 1.18, he talked about that uh, he was in the context of the cult of Artemis. And those young initiates who went through that cult would learn a cert- certain secret truths. We would later codify that in what is called Gnosticism. But those secret truths allowed them to manipulate the unseen realm. And when they were about between 18 and 23, they would run them through certain rituals. And as they went through those rituals, they would learn these secret truths. God would then, uh, uh, not God, but the, 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 the spirit specialist would then take them and they would put them in a, in a darkened cave uh, in the early morning hours on a propitious day on a special day in order to teach them an essential lesson and on that particular day they would roll a rock over the cave mouth and these young men would be in darkness throughout the morning hours before sunrise all the way until the sun had reached its apex in the sky and in that part of the world most days are very bright blue skies and they would come and roll the rock away from the cave mouth and yank these young guys out into the noonday sun and as they did so it says that that their eyes were to be enlightened you see the the cult of Artemis wanted them to understand what enlightenment was and Paul borrowed that term that was used to describe the initiation into these mystery religions by those, those, those spirit specialists in that day he used the same term here in Ephesians verses uh, verse uh, 118 I pray also that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened 
So please never forget this, dear friends. In similar fashion, God is wanting to pull us out of the cave of darkness into the brightness of the noonday sun of this particular truth. And what is that truth? That the same power that catapulted the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and exalted him to the right hand of the Father in this incredible resurrection power, and we are placed in Christ, and Christ is placed in us. It is a power available to us to live the holy lives that he's called us to live, to be the glory bearers that he's called us to to be, and to move forward in that power to love a world that is completely unlovable. Now, I like that truth, okay? And so with that power and that plan and that passion, may I please tell you a closing story, okay? And I think I've got six minutes. There was a family who began to understand these truths in the U.S. They were a couple who had come out of a very dysfunctional backgrounds, had fallen in love very young, and they yearned for their children to know Jesus, and they wanted to have a big family for his glory. Incredibly poor and impoverished here in the U.S. This was over in the Minnesota area. They were basically sharecroppers, But as the children started coming, they would go off into the blueberry patches there in Minnesota, and they would would can blueberries, the mother would, and she put the money aside. She just yearned for her kids not only to know Jesus, but to study the Bible. And then as they came of age, four boys and four girls, each one of them eventually were sent across the border into Canada to study at a school called Prairie Bible Institute. Out of these men, though, there was one in particular, the second son, who I want to tell you about. He was a a young man because of his background who actually did not have indoor plumbing until he went to the field as a missionary. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Missionaries having upward lift (laughs) instead of the other way. That doesn't happen too often, okay? But he also had an understanding of God's incredible passion for the world and, and the reality and an understanding that his resurrection power could use him to fulfill his purposes and so he asked his family and friends to pray and as they did on the other side of the world up in a mountainous area there was an old guy an elder we would say because he didn't really have chiefs in that tribe but an elder who had a dream and that dream almost woke him up because he saw three very unusual things first of all he saw a white man in the dream They had never seen a white man before in their lives. He saw that that white man was bringing leaves with a message written on it. Not one word of their language had ever been put into writing. But he saw that those leaves came from the creator God. And he saw saw in that dream, it was very clearly communicated to him that the message on those leaves would change their people. He woke up the next morning, called his his, uh, two sons to himself and told them the essence of the dream. And he said, I don't know what's going to happen, but when that white man comes, you make sure he learns our language because those leaves from heaven are going to make a real difference for us. In the intervening couple of years, it was either two or three years, he passed away. There was a white man who actually came into that particular valley nearby, and as he came in, he ran into what, what was one of the most complex language systems in the world. Six different prefixes, six different suffix for every verb, a very difficult language to say the least. And somehow they knew he wasn't the fulfillment of the dream. He writes back to his mission, please bring, send somebody who understands linguistics. And sure enough, guess who they chose? That second son from this family. 
He had already married. They made their way across by boat. Actually, that's how, how long ago it was. And they made their way into that particular area. And as he came walking into the valley where they were, uh, the, uh, not the son, but one of the friends of the son saw it and he said, that is the fulfillment of the dream. And he and his buddy went running and they found one of these sons and he said, you got to come. The, the fulfillment of your father's dream has arrived. And they came running back and they came, and they came up to this guy and they started trying to talk to him in the language. You got to understand, these were cannibals. Uh, they were dangerous. And I don't know about you, but if I'd been the white guy, I'd have been a little nervous because they come up and they pick up a stone axe and they go and start chopping like this and they looked at the sky and, 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 the, and the guy looks at them and he realizes, they're, and he suddenly realizes this, this linguistic, he, he's teaching me the language. <laughs> and, he, and he pulled out his little book and I mean the first hour he was there with these guys, he starts writing down these words and oh my, how God had prepared a young man who had never been, had one day of education who was able to naturally explain the structure of this very complex language and a white guy that he had brought into that particular place. And by the way, whiteness has nothing to do with anything. Don't be hearing me that way. The point is that that was the fulfillment of the dream. And he came in, and this guy, I mean, those two took off. And in six weeks, that white guy stood up to preach his first, first sermon. And I don't know about you, but that just makes me want to puke. Because after six weeks, I could hardly say, how are you? And what they say is one of the easiest languages in the world, which was Indonesian, which we learned. But I'm thrilled for what took place that day. Because that guy stands up and he, and he preaches his sermon and the women are in the back with their grass skirts and the men are in the front with their gourds and, and he finishes his sermon and they, and they, start, they say, mmm, tastes good to our liver, white man. And he said, huh? What? what? And they said, yeah. Uh, and they talked among them. They said, preach it again. You ever do that to Pastor Jeff? Hey, Pastor Jeff, do it again. That was such a good one. Well, he preaches it a second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time and he notices they're counting their fingers and their toes. And he said, what are you doing? See, they had, and it, what was left of them, because when a clan member died, they would chop off a finger at the knuckle or a, or a toe, and it was, I mean, it was really, really brutal because of the darkness they had lived in all of those centuries. Well, the story was about the prodigal son, and those 5,000 became evangelists before they ever knew Jesus. They went around the fires everywhere, and they started literally saying word for word the sermon. God started moving. I don't want to exaggerate this story in any way. I'm not sure the exact number of months. It may have been six or eight, but eventually the leaves from heaven, that message got through. They came to the white guy and they said, we want to burn our weapons and our fetishes and we want to follow this, these leaves from heaven. And he said, if you burn your weapons and your fetishes, your enemies in the neighboring valley are going to come and kill and eat you. And they said, now that's something to consider, white man. So they went back and kept going around the fires and they kept going back and forth and they kept coming and he kept putting them off. He had the wisdom to say, I'm not sure you're ready until, you know what they finally said one day? They said, look, you are the fulfillment of the dream. And you came and you brought leaves from heaven that tell us about this Lord Jesus Christ, creator of the universe, who has become our savior. And if he really is God as you say you are, he'll protect us from our enemies. And the white guy said, I know you're ready now. <laughs> and so he, not everybody came to Christ. It wasn't a bad prayer letter that week. 20,000 came to Christ. Isn't that wonderful? And as they came to Christ, of course, the old ways are fighting against the new. Because, of course, the passion of God being known in such a dark place that had been in darkness for centuries, of course there's going to be a spiritual battle. Sure enough, one of the young men went into a neighboring valley and they killed and ate him. has nothing to do with gorging on food, by the way. They only eat a little bit of the, of the flesh. They're trying to get the mana, the soul strength of the warrior within themselves so that they can have spiritual ascendancy over all of their enemies. 
And when that happens, terrible things happen because the equilibrium in the unseen realm is clearly messed up and the spirit specialists are madder in a hornet and why did we ever follow these new ways? We should have stayed with the old ways and here this guy is and we need to bring revenge immediately against our enemies but the one thing that God in his sovereignty who is over all of history knew was that the older brother must lead the war party and the older brother had come to Jesus. And he stood there and held them off and he said, I don't know what we're gonna do but not today. They came back the next day. They kept coming back for a week. They finally stopped coming back because he kept saying, no, I'm praying about this. They said the tension in the tribe was absolutely electric because this was life and death, they thought. After a month in the church service, the guy stands up at the end of the service and he said, I have come to a decision. They said, literally, you could have heard a pin drop. And as he said, I have come to a decision, he said, the leaves from heaven were brought by this white man over here and have told us about the, the, the creator God who sent his son. And I believe that that message needs to get to our enemies. And that white guy and I are going to go tell them about Jesus. And if you, I'd been the white guy, I would have said, me? <laughs> Here's my wife. She's really cool. You might want to. Anyway, but no, no, none of that. And as I'm hearing this story, somewhere around 20 years after the fact, the white guy and the fellow from there start crying because that white guy kissed his wife goodbye and then kissed my wife goodbye. My wife was two years old at the time. And the other guy kissed his family goodbye and they said there was no reason to believe we would be alive the next day. No reason. Nobody else had lived going into that valley but they went because they so love the passion of a God who loves even our enemies and they said as they went into that valley the next morning they didn't sleep any that night they thought it was over the very guys who had killed this man's younger brother came and surrounded him my father-in-law told me later he said that poor Donnie fellow was just shaking like a leaf he just was waiting for the stone knife coming into his liver to kill him but the guy who had killed, he said, he said, I don't know what it's going on. You come into our valley unarmed? He said, but we've heard about some leaves from heaven. He said, build a fire. And they built a fire and they, and they, because that was a sign of peace and they sat down around the fire. He said, and, and he said, would you please tell us about these leaves from heaven? I don't know about you. I would have started in Genesis 1-1 and I would have gone verse by verse for about the next eight to 10 years, you know, to get through this thing. But not this guy, because they, they realized that God was at work here. And the guy said, please come. You be the one, the man who had given us his younger brother. Come and tell us this way. And he did. And the whole valley came to Christ. And every valley in that people has come to Christ. My father-in-law said he saw a church and a school for every valley, or very, every, yeah, every village of the, of, the, of the Donnie, and that has become true today. The whole Bible has been translated. David and uh, his siblings and us were able to go to the, to the translation uh, celebration back in 2003 because God will have his way, friends. We are the inheritors of, the, of, of these covenant promises that were given to Abraham and that were reiterated in other places. Lord, have your way. Forgive me for going over time, but I just plead with you that we would love you enough to do whatever you tell us to do. Enable this city to never be the same. Enable this state to never be the same. Enable our nation to be transformed and enable us to trust you for all nations, tribes, languages, and people. 
In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Amen.